All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the Photo Work Podcast, the talkie, and if you wait for the end of today's episode, you too will acknowledge the very touchy-feely version of my book, Photo Work, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. I am, as usual, Sasha Wolf, here virtually, also as usual, with my friend and producer extraordinaire, international man of mystery. (laughs) (laughs) If you consider New Jersey international. Or a mystery. (laughs) Or a mystery. It's definitely a mystery. Michael Chauvin Dalton. Ah, Hello, hello. Michael. Yes, hi. How are you? I feel so debonair. (laughs) (laughs) Did you dress up? Are you wearing a tux? I'm dressed all in black. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How you doing? I'm good. I'm good here in New Jersey, uh, doing what we're all doing. Remote this and remote that and uh, keeping track of... uh, you know, where the cases are, are breaking out and, and... The White House. Yeah, I know, exactly. Where the hotspots are. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just, uh, if you were planning a White House tour, turn back. Yeah. Awful place. Anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> yes. so It's so hard. It's so hard just to have a conversation, right? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? It's not like there's anything going on in the oh. world. Let's just pretend that... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, I'm up in Woodstock again, and uh, I will say it is a little bit easier for me when I'm here, too. No, it's not. What am I talking I know, about? Right? I, I, I know. You know? Yeah, unless unless not... you've gone radio silent yeah, uh, I don't with even no know internet. What I was... yeah. No, what the heck was I... Okay, so for like the 40 minutes a day that I go running up in the mountains... Mm. And even then, if I'm being honest, I think half the time I'm listening to some political podcast. So no, it's um, craziness. It's all a part of everything right now. And and when I teach, it's it's part of our lectures. It's part of our critiques, and rightfully so. Yeah. Um, we're not just teaching art and the technical parts of art. We're also talking about being a socially responsible artist too. Yeah. Yep, yep. And your son's school was just shut down. That's right. Uh, two cases at my son's school, one case at my daughter's school. So, um, you know, school is uh, going fully remote for a while, and soccer is um, now canceled for a while, too, because the same kids who are on the soccer team are also in my yep. son's school. Okay. All right. <laughs> we did it again. Um, we did it again. We can't help it. Yeah. So moving on from our conversation of everything that's upside down, what did you think of Today's episode, which for our listeners was a conversation I had with the creative director of Aperture, Leslie Martin. You know, one of the things I really did love about this conversation, uh, because uh, you represent artists, Leslie is an editor. Uh, you're neither of you are, are photographers, but you're in, you're both in this field. You're both in this artistic world uh, as a, a kind of access point for a lot of artists. But uh, also as mentors, because what you with what you do, there's there's a lot of helping photographers navigate what they're trying to do, uh, navigate the art world, navigate publishing, navigate selling their work, and so there were some. I, I detected some real similar sensibilities in the way you try to help artists 
put their best work forward, but also allowing them to stay true to what it is they're trying to do and what it is they care about. And I, I, I mean, talk about an inside look into the this side of the world. I thought it was fantastic. Oh, good. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. I mean, Leslie is obviously just, you know, an incredibly interesting person, I think quite brilliant. And, you know, I think for our listeners to, you know, really sort of hear someone like her talk about what goes on at Aperture, um, how to sort of get a toehold in, how to get their attention, what goes on there when books are being made. And, you know, another thing that comes up is the portfolio prize, but it doesn't really get fleshed out. So I actually thought maybe we could just mention for our our listeners um, what the Aperture Portfolio Prize is. Yeah, well, this is directly from their website. Uh, The Aperture Portfolio Prize is an annual international competition to discover, exhibit, and publish new talents in photography. The purpose of the Portfolio Prize is to identify trends in contemporary photography and highlight artists whose work deserves greater recognition. And you, you do talk about the, the purpose of it a bit, but if you want to find out more about it, just visit aperture.org and look for calls for entry. Yeah, I think it's a really fantastic way of sort of, of getting the photo world's attention. Um, right. And in fact, next episode, not today's episode, but the next one is a conversation with this year's Portfolio Prize winner, Danielle Bowman. So I'm really looking forward to talking with her about... Mm. It's a little tricky because it was announced in April, so sort of in the middle of the pandemic. It was a short celebration, is what you're saying. Yeah, she didn't really get that, and hopefully that will come back around for her. But anyway, I'm really looking forward to talking with her. Right. One other thing, Michael, that I just wanted to clean up up on aisle 10 (laughs) is that Leslie and I talk about a couple of specific books that Aperture has made. And one of them, I don't think we ever say the title of. We keep, it's a book they did of John Chiara's Mm -hmm. work. And um, the the name of the book is California. So yeah, (laughs) uh, it it wouldn't be hard to find. I looked it up. I looked it up. And and, yeah, that is something you should all look at. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. Um, And the other thing I wanted to just say is uh, towards the very end, Leslie and I used the term maquette a number of times, and I'm sure everyone knows what a maquette is, but just in case, because I'm a down-to-earth gal, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> a book maquette is just a fancier way of saying a book dummy. So right. our listeners, if anyone doesn't know, they don't have to stop the episode and Google and try and figure out how to even spell maquette. But anyway. <laughs> Not to um, mention the you throw around the term amuse-bouche, <laughs> that's Leslie. Oh, that's right. That was Leslie. No, don't give me uh, S H I T. I didn't say it. I I didn't I didn't study French. So. Okay. <laughs> oh, I learned and so one, much on this show. <laughs> <laughs> one other thing I just want to mention that's really exciting about today's uh, episode is we got our final music for the show, and it was composed by. This is so. This really wasn't, um, this timing was not intentional, but the music was composed by Leslie Martin's husband, uh, J. Walter Hawks, who's a great composer. And so, um, Mr. Hawks, thank you so much for doing that for yes. us. We, we yes. love it and we're so appreciative. It's, it's really fantastic. Uh, it's, it's fun to work with. So I'll be uh, cutting it into the show. And yeah, this was all a family affair. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, why don't you take it away, Michael? And thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. And here is your conversation with Leslie Martin. Leslie Martin, welcome to the Photo Work Podcast. It's so nice to have you. I was thinking of this earlier that I was going to say it's so nice to have you on the podcast. And I think I always say that, but it's really like, what does that mean on the podcast? Like, Ugh. are you standing on the podcast? I, are you? I'm sitting on it. Grammatically, <laughs> it's not grammatically. We need Susan Chicotti to come in and yes, edit the, the wonderful, my grammar. Wonderful. <laughs> Susan Sakati, who is a secret weapon among many secret weapons at the Aperture yes. household. Yeah. Fantastic copy editor. Yes. That doesn't really even begin to no. do her justice. But anyway, um, we already digressed. Yes. How not, how not shocking. So, Leslie, you are the creative director at the Aperture Foundation. And I always ask people to just give me a little bit of backstory on how they wound up where they are today. Sure. How did I end up where I am today is a little accidental, maybe, in that I always knew I liked books. And I know that's one of the most trite things one can say, but I worked through college at the Art and Architecture Library, and I didn't know what to do with myself after school and one day I was shelving some issues of Aperture magazine and a flyer for the internship came up. Flute just fell out and I picked it up and I thought, well, that's interesting. I could do that. <laughs> um, so I applied, but then I realized, oh, there's no way I could afford to live in New York City for the meager honorarium at the time and I didn't and I'm sorry where where were you where were you that was just when I was graduating from school I went to a little school in called Miami of Ohio so I put off that idea and I did something that I thought I could make money and then go back to do the internship so I moved to Japan for three years I taught English I saved some money I moved back I moved to New York then from Tokyo to do the internship at Aperture and that is more or less how I came to be there. I'm pretty much Aperture trained in many ways, although I have worked for many other small publishers, all photo book publishers or arts publishers. But in a nutshell, I just have worked my way through many different roles at Aperture. And here I am now. Yeah. And what is the, can you just give our listeners a little bit of a sense of, because I, I think Maybe I'm wrong about this, and maybe this is just me projecting onto everyone else. But I feel like most people think of you as sort of like, you know, a book editor or the main book editor, whatever. But your title is creative director. So maybe you could explain a little bit about sure. I how mean, much of, yeah. Really, it's a catch-all phrase. Creative director means something very different depending on the organization you work with. I do identify primarily as a book editor, but that has really spilled over to being the publisher of the photo book review, being very involved in the various prizes that Aperture runs, such as right. the Perry Photo Aperture Foundation Photo Book Awards. Um, it just means I have my 
hands in many different pies. So I believe you were you were just uh, working on the Perry Photo Aperture Book Prize. Is that yes? Correct? We just juried the shortlist. Of amazing experience to see a number of amazing colleagues and sitting in a big room for three days talking about books. When when does that get announced? That should get announced next week. Obviously, we're dealing with various wobbles in the road. Uh-huh. The actual fair component of Perifoto has just been canceled because oh, uh, okay. there is, about that. there's a new law in Paris that there can be no gatherings larger than 5,000 people. So that puts a kibosh on that. But we're following through. The prize is going to be shown somewhere in Paris. We're working out those details. Um, there will still be a prize where different books from that list of 35 are selected as the winners in three categories, photo book of the year, photography catalog of the year, and the first photo book for which there is a $10,000 prize. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. No, but it's really, it's such a source of inspiration and learning for me. First of all, I always learn from the colleagues with whom I'm jurying. And in this case, it was an amazing group of Sarah Meister from MoMA, uh, Susan Mizellis, of course, iconic esteemed photographer, Joshua Chuang from the New York Public Library, Oluremi Onabanjo, who's an independent curator, and she often writes for Aperture and the Photo Book Review. So all really amazing perspectives on what makes a good book. And I mean, this year, the conversations were very interesting in terms of that balance between content and form, which is really a central point that I think conversations around photo books often get into just photo books or I think maybe just I think photo books in general and well I mean I'm thinking about books because you can it's all about the choices one makes in creating this platform for a set of photographs and you can do mm-hmm. it very simply you can do it very in very complex manners and this is a time to think about you know what is the intention of the work is it a arriving at that intention? And how do all of the elements that go into making a photo book support that? So Uh, okay, in my very, in my very myopic and biased brain, when you said content and form, I was thinking of the actual form of the photograph, not the not the form of the book. Well, of course, you know, there's sort of an old chestnut that the first thing to a great photo book is you have to have great photographs. But, you know, when you're looking at an already completed book, you're assessing the quality of the individual photographs very quickly, and you're really assessing how all of the decisions around how that book was made support and allow for anybody to actually get to that work. You know, I'm sure you have picked up a book and flipped through it and been like, eh, in the past, and definitely, you know, there's why is that? Why why does a photo book grab somebody sometimes and doesn't work in other? You know, why do others not work? So, with that in mind, um, I was wondering, what's the first book that you edited that made you feel as though you knew how to do the job that you had 
if you, I don't know if you feel like you can say what book it was, but I'd be curious if, if you could or at least sort of talk about it theoretically. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've been thinking about that. I feel like there have been many books that I successfully made a contribution to in terms of how they turned out in the end. And from the time I started until probably really when I came back to Aperture in 2003, I don't feel like I kind of had as good of a handle on it as I might have. So when I came back to Aperture in 2003 and was sort of charged with reinvigorating the Aperture book list, that was at a time when the idea of the photo book as a sort of autonomous art form was really gaining currency, right? The histories, the Par Badger histories of the photo book had just been published. Horacio Fernandez, wonderful, wonderful godfather of book about books, Photographia Publica had been out for a number of years. So there was really a new way of looking at a photo book as something other than just a fort portfolio of photographs on the printed page. So mm -hmm. I was really excited to dig into that and to make things that extended the form of what a photo book could be. And maybe one of the earliest ones that I thought like, yeah, this is something different is a book by Gary Schneider, his, a collection of his nude portraits. And um, it's oversized in scale. It's um, beautifully printed in Italy. And the work inside is, is really tough. I mean, they're very, very disorienting, full-body nude portraits of individuals. And I think it was because it was such a sort of striking and, again, disorienting body of work that I felt like, wow, this is great that I can figure out a vehicle to put this out into the world that makes this body of work make sense. And, mm -hmm. and it was, you know, a lot of people don't think about the different models of how you make a book successful, but this was planned to be limit, a limited print run. It was clearly a very specialized approach to the nude form. It wasn't intended to be a mass market bestseller. It was really, how do we create a beautiful vessel for these portraits? and go outside of the traditional expectation of, you know, a nine by 11 inch trim size, and it's very tall. Yeah, I think that was just the first time I remember really being able to grapple with all of those elements in a way that I felt made a difference. There's a lot there I feel like asking you about, but it occurs to me that maybe should sort of talk a little bit about some fundamentals that people probably would be pretty curious about, mm -hmm. such as the just big general question, how does a book come to fruition at a place like Aperture? What's the process of, yeah, just deciding what's going to be sure. made and what isn't? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to understand that Aperture is a particular system and it's different from a small indie publisher. I always use Michael Mack as an example, where for the most part, that has been framed by Michael's sensibilities, his personal philosophy about photography. And so it's really an identifiable set of ideas around photography 
that get published, even though there's lots of different types of work that he approaches. Aperture is a not-for-profit. We really do try to map the gamut of different types of books. So in a given mm -hmm. season, there might be something that is targeted for children or more education-oriented. There might be something that is intended to be, you know, a bestseller, I put in sort of quotation marks, but something that is going to have really wide popular appeal. And then we make space for artist books and monographs and including the first photo books where people are really given the opportunity to explore a body of work for the first time in book form. So we have to sort of map out ideas along that range, which means that at any given time, an editor brings a project to the table and it's discussed in terms of what position does it take along that range of ideas, who the audience is, are we the right people to deliver it to that audience, how are we going to afford it. So an idea doesn't come to the table until, unless an editor believes really, really strongly in it. And how big is that table? How many people? I'm just curious what that feels like. It's, it's really more six to seven real decision makers. And that includes mm -hmm. anybody who's going to have something to do with the book after it's, it becomes a physical object. How is it going to be sold? Or even beforehand, how is it going? How are we going to fundraise around it? How are we going to produce it? So every key player in that decision is assessing like, how does this impact what I can do? Or how can I do this and do it well? So I know that sounds like a lot of people and it is definitely a committee, but I think the the earmark is that somebody has to really believe in it. Are there hard feelings sometimes if uh, the group doesn't okay something that someone felt really passionately about? Of course. I mean, you know, everybody's jockeying to put the books that they believe in out there. And, and when it doesn't happen, it can be, first of all, you've already been in discussion with a photographer, so you have to go back and say, look, it's just not going to work out. That must be really hard. Oh, yes. But, yeah. um, you know, really, the editors are the champions trying to advance a book that they feel are going to do something that is different, a book that has a place in the continued expansion of ideas around photography. And, you know, it's personal, but it's also, it's just, it's what you do. So you learn to do a little bit of a, a dance around, yes, we're very interested in this book. There's a lot of conversations that have to happen before it can be ratified and I can send you a contract, basically. So, I mean, that's I wonder, just, sorry, yeah. just to say, like, that's the beginning of the process. Yeah. We do have to undertake a, a lot of fundraising, which I know is a whole other set of questions that people always want to talk about. Um, and there are some books that have had to fall by the wayside if we don't muster that support around it, which is another well, very Well, where does difficult. that support come from? Maybe just give us yeah, a little depends. I mean, it, it's, it could be a collector base for that person's work. It could be grants. It could be, again, some of the different prizes that we um, undertake. Well, 
There's a new one we're going to announce soon that there's an actual pot of money set aside. There are board members and committee, different book committees within our um, patron groups that put money towards a project. It's really, I always feel a little bit like I'm a, a spider knitting a web to support whatever project I'm trying to get out there. And it probably helps. I mean, I'll, I'll, people probably don't realize this, but I do because I know you very well. Um, but you really have to be quite a diplomat, right? <laughs> it's well, at a place like Aperture particularly. I mean, it's not just, you, you, you really have to, I mean, it's so collaborative in so many different respects. And you're dealing as you're sort of describing with so many different groups of people. It's not even like you're just dealing with fellow editors. You're, no, you I mean, it's an internal diplomacy and an external diplomacy. Yeah. And I can be, yeah, depending on what's going on, I'm either very diplomatic or not very diplomatic. <laughs> and that has its consequences for a book, as you can imagine. But yeah, yeah, you have to, it is a team exercise. And I think that's something that is important to recognize Especially, I mean, if you are going to self-publish your book and you're going to design it and you're going to produce it and deal with all of the selling and marketing, then, you know, do what you want to do. Great. But once you enter into a structure of a larger publisher and certainly at Aperture, there's a lot of finessing and and diplomacy to make sure that a book gets out there in a way that has integrity and is really true to the work. So, you know, I'm I'm sort of shying away from digging into particular books because I don't know, you know, chances are the people listening to this podcast, you know, not everyone's going to have. It's one thing to Google and look up someone's work when I'm talking to an artist, but I think it's a little harder to have the expectation that people will have the books we're talking about. So I've been a little careful there, but I am going to mention a couple of books and try and keep it sort of broad, but mm -hmm. a couple of questions I have. So you did a Stephen Shore book a few years ago called Selected Works, which was a pretty interesting conceit. I'll let you talk about it. But what I'm wondering is there's 16 contributors. You're listed as the project editor, not the editor, which is just something I was just sort of curious about mm -hmm. um, myself. But can you talk about how that book came to be, what it is, and how with something like that, you come up with that list of contributors? Because whenever I'm flipping through that book, I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, so that book comes from the fact that in 2004, Aperture reissued Stephen Shore's Uncommon Places, which had originally been published by Aperture in 1982. There were 50 pictures. When we reissued it decades later, there were a hundred and some images. But every time we went back to reprint it and we took care with Stephen to, you know, we would be proofing it and looking and talking about the work. And at a certain point, he started to bring in new images. So there's actually oh. <laughs> Uncommon Places, which is called the uh, unabridged work, I believe, or the unabridged something, or the complete works, I believe. So we realized this is not complete. There is so much more. And, you know, some people might question, like, how do you retroactively go back and fit 
work into a classic like Uncommon Places. Mm. And we had added five pictures and then we added another 15 pictures. And <laughs> we realized like, okay, we could just keep adding to this. I mean, it was a little bit like, you know, an excavation under the pyramids and you realize, oh, we thought we had the main chamber, but there are all of these other spaces and amazing pockets underneath. So I finally, in talking to Stephen, proposed that we do something, a completely new work from this. I mean, the Uncommon Places work is just this amazing cornucopia of photographic gems that you could just keep going. So how do you cut your way through that? How do you shape and give context to work that is so well known in one form? And I do think that that's one of the really important jobs of an editor is to create the proper context for its viewing. And that extends from, again, the physical form to the text that's included. And I mean, I certainly could have gone through and selected like, these are my favorites from the other 800 pictures that he came back with, because I said, okay, Stephen, go out, come back with you know, the set of pictures that you think could be considered for this other volume. And it was a lot. So (laughs) that is a lot. (laughs) He and I actually knocked it down to 400 images working together and then realized there are so many paths through this. And I thought the best way to reconsider it was to bring in a chorus of voices to contemplate like, what is this body of work? So we asked different individuals to make a framing device, and it could be anything they wanted to talk about. David Campany, I believe, talks about the color green, and Quentin Bajac talks about Coca-Cola signs and signage through the work. Lynn Tillman wrote a story around some of the images, and then and then went into a really interesting sort of art historical perspective around. I'm just going to jump in for one sec. Yeah. And then just 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 make something really clear to listeners. There was a you decided on 16 contributors and they went through those pictures and picked out. Yeah, we sent they wanted. Right. That's right. We sent 400 images to 16 (laughs) different people and said, choose. I can't remember at the moment if it's 10 or 15, but I think it's 10. Choose a set of pictures. And then if you can, or would you write something that sort of explains the framing device? So, and Wes Anderson. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, definitely an interesting group of people who... Yeah. So, I mean, the selection then, I wanted to reflect on people who had been influenced or were part of a similar time and uh, way of thinking about images. I wanted it to show international scope. So there's Guido Guidi from Italy, Takashi Homa from Japan. So those are sort of indirect influences or resonances, people who have worked directly with Stephen, like on Millet. It just, I wanted it to be this plurality of ways of looking. And Mm -hmm. that, again, that body of work is so iconic. And yet, it goes in so many different directions. And this seemed to be the best way to capture the possibilities that still remained in this body of work that we know so well. So that's 
and in terms of how he came up with that list, Stephen had some people that he really wanted to weigh in and he knew had been influenced by the work or that, again, he was influenced by. I mean, Ed Ruscha contributed something, which was really amazing. Forgot about that. Yeah. It really, the idea was what sort of dialogue can happen around this work Mm -hmm. that gives us a new take on it or many new takes on it. So we just kind of brainstormed and came up with that list. And, you know, Stephen is very generous and open to the idea of reinterpretation of the work. So, you know, great to have a partner in this type of a project who really is interested in that wider perspective that you can bring. I, I feel like I have so many questions for you about other things, but 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 I can't let this go quite yet. So I'm dying to know how you got from the 800 to the 400. Were you together? Were you separately? Did you edit separately and then compare notes? Like, how did you, did you, was there like, you know, know, a duel at sunrise? No, the classic editing, put out tiny little thumbnails of the images on a table, group and regroup, finds the ones that really... I mean, you know, there are some images that just don't have that snap sort of solidity as others. I mean, but really, that selection from 800 to 400 was hard anyway, let alone 400 down to 10. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Stephen always likes to discuss the creation of that work as he was thinking about particular problems of how to make a photograph. And so you can kind of see that there are these different veins of photographic inquiry within this larger set. And sometimes it's just a matter of, well, these hundred here deal with these problems, and there's maybe 50 more, but these hundred seem to really speak most clearly to that set of questions. So take that set, get get rid of the other 50. But it's also, yeah, it's personal. It's, it's so subjective, as you know. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I that's something that, you know, I wanted to ask you about. Like, have you ever made a book? And of course, you're not <laughs> going to say what it is if the answer to this is yes. But have you ever made a book where you've just felt like you, you missed something? You missed the edit and it's, you know, sort of stuck with you? Um, you know, I mean, I know I feel that way. Look, I'll just start. Uh-huh. Like, I, I'll confess first. I mean, there's definitely, you know, shows that I've I've curated of my artists and and later on thought I don't think I totally got that right. And it's, you know, well, stays with me anyway. Sure. I mean, of course the sort of beauty and terror of editing is that any one individual can come up with a completely different way of selecting and sequencing and putting together a set of images. So I think you have to learn to live a little bit with the fact that there's no single right answer. Mm -hmm. But I think with the experience of looking and selecting and seeing what happens when you put images together, you sort of learn to get a sense of, you know, this advances and feels right and this doesn't. And in answer to that first question, I mean, there are certainly, there's always the times when you finish a book and it's, you know, on press or something and a photographer brings in an image and they're like, you know, I'm kind of thinking about this one image. I I didn't bring it up before. (laughs) 
Um, and you're like, yeah. oh my God, that's such a great image. Why, why didn't we see it previously? <laughs> because, you know, I'm editing from usually an initial set and I always try to encourage photographers, give me your top selection and then the next ring of possibilities outside of that so that I can get mm -hmm. a sense of just what the context is for that particular edit. Oh, wait, wait, hold on one second there. But mm -hmm. is it also because perhaps photographers are not all great editors? So you're making sure that they're not missing something? Well, I think it's just so you're so close when you're making the work. <laughs> There's a diplomat. Yeah, go ahead, diplomat. You know, you might be, as a photographer, you might be really invested in a particular image that really resonates to you and you look at it and you see the before and you see the after and you maybe there's right a, otherwise known as maybe not being a great editor of your own work sure i mean i think <laughs> you know people don't can't always step back far enough you know that is true and true i mean true. my job is really forest management not individual nursery tending to these plants of photographs mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. I mean, I'm really trying to look at the overall whole, which means that also sometimes I might feel like an image that a photographer is really invested in has to come out because it just takes us in a different place. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you get to the end of a book and you feel like there some part of the equation got a little bit weakened somewhere along the way and mm -hmm. you know, that can happen at many different parts. And, and again, this is a team exercise. This is yeah. really about how can everybody be on the same page while still adding their different perspectives and views. And that is the designer. That's, again, the production of the book. I mean, each at each step, there is an opportunity. I'm sorry to say, I just screw it up. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. different books have had flaws injected into them at different parts of the process for yeah. various reasons that I, I could point to and a photographer could lament, but most likely they're not so visible to an outside viewer. Although there really are some books, not my own, that I pick up and I, I have so many questions like, how did this decision get made? Why did this yeah. decision get made? And I, yeah. I hope that with any of the books that I am part of that I'm trying to answer those questions and have a good reason for each decision that gets made along so the way. So that it feels like a solid product for lack of just not saying the word book again. So yeah. that knowing that people are are going to have their own subjective, oh, I wish this book wasn't blue because I prefer the color green, but at least there's a sense that the reader, viewer, yeah. has that that there were, you know, good decisions made along the yeah. way. It doesn't Why feel is capricious. there so much white space around this, these pictures? Why is there no white space around these pictures? Yeah. You know, it's as simple as that. These tiny decisions really can impact the way a body of work is received. Well, so just getting a little bit more specific than drilling down, um, you mentioned the designer, and I wanted to ask you about one of my favorite books that you've done over the past few years was John Chiara's book. Mm -hmm. I love John. Mm -hmm. um, and love I his love work. John. John is very lovable. 
John, mm-hmm. if you're listening, we love you. Yay. Um, I think John's book is so beautifully designed. Thank you. And thanks for the tea on behalf of the team. Yeah, I know. It's a great team. I, uh, yes, very fond myself of all these people who are on this team. But can you talk a little bit about like the sort of how the so in this book for people who don't have it, there's John himself has um, an artist statement in it where he talks about the work, and then there's the main sort of essay. Mm-hmm. I think it's by Virginia Hecker. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And which is, I think she does a, just a beautiful job. Yeah. It's really fantastic. It's one of the most readable essays. I really love it. It's, yeah, very engaging. It's two different. It, the paper is different than the paper you use to print to reproduce the photographs, and those two papers are two different colors. And I know this sounds, if you don't have the book, this might sound fussy, but to me, this is one of the most beautifully designed books where there's a lot of design, and it's really not fussy and just feels really wonderful and warm and yeah, engaging. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about making those decisions. Yeah. So, I mean, the team, John Kara and the design designer, Brian Paul Lamott, we all met together. That was back in the days when you could, uh, I think one of the first meetings was at the Los Angeles Book Fair. So we could actually be physically together, looking at things, talking about things. We knew that we wanted it to have scale, sufficient scale, because the work itself is produced at this very large size. They're unique, unique prints that he makes with this giant camera that he's made. So scale was important. They are all, all of the work is from California. And yet there's an exploration of sort of North and South California. And that's really where the paper change and the essay comes in is that's the divide it makes. It's not mm-hmm. like this is North and this is South, but it's just a, a device to signal a transition instead of trying to yep. create one big sequence out of everything. And actually in putting together the edit, John and I talked about sort of the geographical location. Like I started here and then I went to this other site that these pictures are from. And then the next day I went here or a particular street in San Francisco, for example, that he walked down and photographed houses in a row. So allowing the process and the locations to help organize it. And I think that's, you know, so much of the challenge of putting together a book is how do you capture the viewer's attention and then how do you move them through it? How do you keep them there and how do you do so in a way that feels like it's taking you somewhere and that it's adding up to something? So, you know, I can't remember how those, (laughs) honestly, how those decisions came about, but it's so often just, it's a dialogue and it's questions that you ask. And and it's such a good team. And I'm sure that that's everything. I mean, John, as we we're saying, is just exceptionally nice and warm person. And Brian Paul Lamott, who did the design, who also designed my book, Photo Work. So I also know him to be extremely kind and just a lovely person. So I'm sure that makes all the difference in the world when... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, if somebody comes in is like, it's going to be like this, and it's my way or the highway, maybe there's a, you know, maybe that is exactly the way it should be. But I am always amazed at the contributions 
a designer in particular adds to the way that a, a body of work can be carried and understood. And most of the designers who work on Aperture Books are primarily book designers, or am I just making that up? Well, I think, you know, um, I think most people would define themselves as graphic designers for books. I have worked with yeah. other kinds of designers, but at a certain point, you know, design... It's a specialty. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and the main thing again, about working with somebody who is who has made books. I mean, Brian Polamat has his own, has run his own input, imprint as powwow editions. So, you know, a designer like that really understands materials and, dare I say, cost implications of yeah. doing something and, and understands that you might horse trade a little bit of something for, you know, you might give up one thing in order to get something else. I mean, one of the things I really uh, like about that book is the gatefolds that fold up because amazing. those yeah, were, that's the way, those are vertical diptychs and they show a top and a bottom of, let's say, a tree or a landscape. And it just didn't make sense to view them side by side. And once you shrunk them down to be able to fit on the page, even though it's a very generous page, you kind of lost the feeling of being present in the work. So yeah, no, I love those. I love those vertical gatefolds. I think they're really incredible. And also another example of what I was talking about, about something that's sort of very designed, but yet just feels organic and like it makes perfect sense. It's just really lovely. Well, it, again, yeah, that idea of it makes sense. It's not an overlay. It's in response to, and I'm always looking for designers who can, be informed by the work and by the text. And I mean, that sounds obvious, but you you really want somebody who is an equal partner and trying to process and understand the work. And as an editor, I mean, when I say editor, it's not just about, I like these pictures and I like this order of the pictures. It's really about figuring out, trying to engage, trying to become a quick read an expert on the photographer, on what their intentions are, on the body of work, and then figuring out what elements are going to support that. So, you know, all of those gestures are definitely sort of bells and whistles, but they have meaning and purpose and they're there for a reason. It's not just, I can do this, which right. is where you get into the like, what? Or, what? I mean, <laughs> one of the things that really has happened in the book community is that there is now that you can have a lot of tip-ins and blow-ins and special papers and things that fold up and down and sideways, you know, that can sometimes come to actually interfere in the understanding and the read of the work. So I try not to get too fussy, although I have been accused of being a bit of a maximalist because I love it when something like that can work and we yeah. can figure out a way to pay for it and all of that other stuff. But yeah, it's definitely, I there has to be a solid reason for it. Yep. Very good advice. So I would really be remiss. I think I'd get hate mail if... Um, I didn't ask you before I let you go, how, I don't want to say younger, but just in general, um, lesser known photographers, how can they get the attention of someone like you 
at a place like Aperture if they they think they have a project that's that's ready to be a book. Yeah. I mean, every publisher has a specific means by which they would like to be contacted. And if you look on their website, you'll figure it out. At Aperture, because we are barraged with people and projects, we had to figure out a system that would be efficient and also generative. And that's how we came up with the Portfolio Prize, in which anybody can submit. And um, we do scan it for potential book projects, is often a means by which conversations get started. Um, We reach out if there's something we want to see more of. There are definitely portfolios that get submitted, maybe don't even get honorable mention, but later might pop up in the magazine, later might become a book. So that's one way is figure out each publisher's system for getting their attention. But also I really do encourage photographers, and I know now is a terrible time to recommend this because art fairs have been relegated to something online, but a book fair is such an amazing way to get in front of publishers, not to show your portfolio at that moment, but to just start a conversation, to ask them questions. Yeah, and I think, you know, there are people's careers who I've seen evolve through their self-published books, and then maybe they publish with a, you know, small indie or boutique publisher. And, you know, it used to be that if the work is out there in some form, forget about it, a publisher is not going to touch you. But in fact, you know, there is such a sort of escalator, let's say, of ways that a book can become can come into the world. So, you know, Christine Potter, for example, did a Roman numerals book, very small, I think maybe 16 pages of manifest, and then it later became published by by TBW. You know, there's there's ways to sort of put your work out there in a in a bite size amuse-bouche form before you, it becomes a main course. Right, it's not disqualifying. Yep. Yeah. And and real quickly, do you need a, are you fine with a PDF or do you want someone to walk in with some like fully baked maquette? So, I mean, it really depends. I, as an editor who loves the creative challenge of giving shape to a body of work, of course, if somebody comes to me with a set of images, I think is just amazing. And I can, in looking at it, imagine what form that could take. That's always fun. But I've also published books that did arrive in pretty polished and almost complete maquette forms, because that's a very good way to indicate what the other elements that a book is so good at bringing together. You know, a book is a binding agent. It put it it creates a framing device for the text, archival images, things like that. And those are harder to communicate in a PDF or a, a box of prints. So sometimes yep. a maquette can really help point in the direction. But that said, it also might indicate a different direction than the publisher you want to work with wants to take the right. book in. So, you know. So it's risky. And unless you really feel like you have, this is the vision you want, you're quite sure of that. In some ways, it's better not to come in with something that feels like it's it's completely done, fully done in your mind. 
Well, not, not you, or but the present artist. something that has been worked through, but indicate that you are open. You're open, right? Right. Yep. And yeah, again, I think there's there is such this amazing alchemical thing that happens when a great designer and a good editor and a really amazing body of work come together. Yeah. All right. Well, on that optimistic note. Thank you so much. We're recording on a Sunday, so you've been very generous. No to give problem. Me part so of much your more Sunday. to say, but I, I, I know. think this <laughs> this is a good a good I know taste. we didn't even we didn't even get to where I asked you to tell everyone how fantastic I was to work with. Well, but of course, anyway, we'll... another <laughs> magical moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, like the, the role of an editor is really diverse. And most people think even when we have work scholars come in, they say, I want to work with the book program. They just think that the editor sits around and, you know, creates sequences. And that's just not the case. It's text work. It's just, I mean, an author like yourself comes to the table with a kind of similar set of ideas that then still need to be figured out. How do you present these to a reader? What's going to make yep. this great idea, which has now become a podcast, into yep. something that people want to pick up? What? Yeah, so many questions that have to get solved. So yep. an editor has to be really a jack of all trades, I think. Yes, I. That's that's what I saw in my experience of working with you, and um, which was a joy. Um, I'm going to ask you a sort of uh, mushy question. Sure. Which, um, I know you're cringing. I know what your face looks like mm -hmm. right now. But I like asking people this. Okay. I'm wondering if this is a life thus far well lived. Doing, you know, the I, first of all, I should just tell people that. You're one of the hardest working people I know, and I used to actually mm. give you crap about it where I'd get <laughs> worried because you're always, I'd call you and on a Saturday or Sunday and you'd be at the office and it was like not Often. once in a while, but all the time, really all the time. And I was just like, Wesley, you're going to work yourself to death. But, and I know you love your work, but is this, is this like when you think about what you've done with your life, does this feel good, satisfying? I mean, it's... I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I still wonder if there's a growing up and something else I might do. But I have to say that it is an incredibly amazing experience to work with the artists I work with and the designers and to feel like I'm really well steeped in this knowledge. Like I can get very um, obsessed and excited about tiny details and on a book like the head and tail bands and it's always like taking a master class with a photographer that you are really inspired by when you make a book so yeah I feel like I have there's something that I have done in making certain books that are going to become the ways in which those bodies of work get known you know a book like Rinko Kauchi's Illuminance, I feel really, really privileged and happy to have worked with an artist I respect so greatly, Rinko Kauchi, an amazing designer, Hans Gremmen, whose book work I think is incredible. And so, yeah, I mean, that feels like I've actually 
left something or made something to that is going to survive me. I love photography, but I tried for a certain moment to think of myself as a photographer. I'm just not obsessed enough with making images. So that, that wasn't for me, but I was obsessed with how images have power and how people can read them and, and get into them and how different bodies of work might change the way somebody sees the world. So to be able to think about that all the time is really rewarding. What I didn't think I would be so immersed in all the time is the financial decision making and fundraising. And, you know, it's that that is challenging. And there's a lot of Again, when you work with a team, the best of teamwork means that it is super energizing and the worst of it is like you're running a gauntlet. But yeah, ultimately, I, I really am happy to have found this work and to work at an organization like Aperture, which has such a long history. I feel, you know, that I'm part of something that has made a difference with how the photography world functions and yeah does that it's a little overwhelming no it's a great <laughs> answer i mean i no, i know but it's i mean first of all you're talking about legacy your legacy which i think is going to be extremely important oh thank you sasha and at a place that is so iconic i mean and that has had i mean the legacy of aperture is sort of unbelievable and now i'm going to embarrass you and yet and then your place within Aperture. I mean, and I do think it's really extraordinary. I mean, you know, I, looking at it from my position, it's, you know, I have so much respect for you. And, and you know, we are, full disclosure, old friends, good friends. Yeah. And um, I, you know, love you. Um, but, you know, I think the Thank work you, you've Sasha. done is really incredible. But, but just because I think that doesn't mean that, you know, you're not, you know, thinking about why aren't you raising chickens on a farm somewhere. So, well, of course, always think about the chickens, but no, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's there's definitely challenging days and yeah, days when I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall. But, you know, I get to work with people like you, like when we worked on Yay. photo work and, you know, amazing, iconic photographers that were part of my education of what photography can accomplish. So, you know, I, I definitely cannot complain. Aperture is still going thanks to the support of people around the world who buy the books, who subscribe, who, you know, contribute to us in different ways. So yeah, I'm, I'm very conscious of that legacy and responsibility. And who wouldn't be excited to be part of making things like great books? So well, you do it well. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving up part of your Sunday. And I of know course. the very um, you had a very special sound engineer today, um, yes. Mr. J. Walter Hawk. <laughs> yes. So, thank you um, to thank the yeah, studio to manager Hawks, here, <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. otherwise known as your husband. Yep. And yes, thank you so much. Big hug. Thank you, Sasha. Hug. Really great to be on this. Love what you're doing. Thank you, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Leslie. Okay, bye. Bye, okay. everyone. Bye. bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks.
you can hear PhotoWork on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.